So take your Bibles and turn to John 17. John 17. Not too long ago, I mentioned an assignment that I had in my freshman year of Bible college. The professor wanted us to answer biblically the question, Who am I? And I would have to say that that was probably one of the best homework studies I ever did. Because I was a young believer at the time. And it really helped me to examine my own heart spiritually. And then to learn uh, God's plan, His purpose for my own life. Well, similarly, as Jesus continued here in His prayer, His high priestly prayer, you get a glimpse of God's heart and his desire, his plan for the future church. And I want you to see this here in verses 20 through 26. So follow along as I read the final part of this prayer from our Lord Jesus Christ, just hours before he is crucified. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me Be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you have sent me. And I have made your name known to them. And will make it known, so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This whole chapter is quite a prayer, isn't it? I just love it. I was looking forward to coming to this chapter, and it's just been a joy over the last five weeks to just be meditating upon the heart of Jesus, not only for himself, but for the disciples, and then for us, the church. Jesus began, as I said there, praying for himself and his glory there in verses 1 to 5. And really, it was about the completion of the work of redemption for which he was praying there. And then he turned to interceding on behalf of the 11 disciples for their security and sanctification in verses 6 to 19, what we covered last week and the week before. And now finally, as we come to the end of this chapter, Jesus is lifting up all future believers. He's lifting up the church. Look with me at verse 20, what it says there. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. He's referring back to the disciples. Oh yes, I'm praying for them, but it's not just them. But for those also who believe in me through their word. Yeah, the word was given to them. They received it and now they're going to preach that word. And you get a glimpse of all of that in the book of Acts, right? You bet you do. And so in the following verses... You continue to see what is important regarding God's plan for His people as you did in the previous paragraph 
concerning the disciples. And so I want you to consider with me this morning two important spiritual elements, two important spiritual elements that God desires for the church's growth and its ultimate sanctification. I trust that these will impact and challenge your heart as they have mine and as Jesus intended it to be so. And the first important spiritual element is observed there in verses 20 to 23. Look what Jesus prays about. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. What was clearly emphasized by our Lord in those few verses, in that part of the prayer? It's simply this. God's desire for his church is to be one, (laughs) to be unified. That's what he's saying there. God's desire for his church is to be unified. And if you remember, I covered this for just a moment last week in verse 11. Go back with me to verse 11. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are. So to what is Jesus here referring when he says his desire, his prayer, is for them to be one, to be unified? Well, what seems to be indicated is a spiritual indwelling. Yes, a spiritual indwelling. Having the life of God, or better, as I shared last week, it's being sharers together in eternal life through the Godhead. That's exactly what he's talking about here. Morris, in his commentary, put it this way, indwelling is the secret of it all. Christ indwells believers, and the Father indwells Him. It is through Christ that they have their unity with the Father. And really, this goes back to what Jesus prayed earlier there in verses 2 and 3, right? Go back with me to the beginning of this prayer, 17, 2 and 3. What is stated there? Even as you, Father, gave him, the Son, he's speaking of himself in the third person, authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Yeah, it's about being sharers together in eternal life through the Godhead. The spiritual indwelling of the Godhead in us. Go with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. As you know, John was there that night. And he heard this prayer of Jesus. And I want you to notice how he starts off this epistle of 1 John. 1 John 1, beginning with verses 1 to 3 there. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's speaking about Jesus Christ. 
And the life was manifested. And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And so here you see the unity is centered on the eternal life in Christ. And referred to as what? A fellowship. Yes. Now, look with me at 1 John 5 as he closes this epistle. 1 John 5, beginning with verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that He has testified concerning His Son. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. So this is what the unity is all about. Yes, Jesus in the Father, Father in the Son. We're in Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual indwelling. And it's sharers together in eternal life through the Godhead. That is the unity. And so having described this unity, there are some important things to consider about it that are revealed in this passage of Scripture. And I want you to take note of these things. First of all, only those who believe in Christ can know unity. Only those who believe in Christ can know what it is to have fellowship in eternal life with the Godhead. Yeah. Look with me back at verse 20 again. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. You got to read that all together. And so upon receiving the word, the gospel, the believing soul enters a spiritual community of other believers and together they enjoy the divine life of God. That's what he says there in verse 20. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them that they may be perfected in unity. (laughs) And so... My question for you this morning is, do you have that eternal life? Do you have that fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ? Because if you don't, you don't know what it is to not have unity. Unity with other believers and with God. Because what do we have in common? Eternal life. That's what we have in common. And it's wonderful. But you know, that's our prayer for you this morning if you don't is that you might come to know Jesus as your Savior, to believe on Him, and to have eternal life, and to share that wonderful fellowship with the Godhead. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Eternal life is not such something that we enjoy in the future. Oh yes, that is true. It begins the moment we believe. We have eternal life, the very God in us. Praise be to Him. And so only those who believe in Christ know unity, know fellowship. Second, 
the full blessing of unity in the future church for what Jesus is praying here really started when? On the day of Pentecost. I'm talking about the full blessing of unity. It started on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God began baptizing believers into the body of Christ. Yes. What does 1 Corinthians 12, 13 say? For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. The body of Christ, the church. And as a result, we come to know and manifest the life of God in a unique way. It's not just having salvation. Now we are changed from the inside out. We manifest His power. We manifest His love. We manifest His holiness. As it says there in the first part of verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may be perfected, complete in unity. In fact, if you want to go back to John 15, verses 1 to 11, it's about abiding in Christ. That's what he's talking about here. I love what... Paul prayed about in Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, after discussing the church for a couple of chapters, he then prays for the church and he prays that they might be filled up to all the fullness of God. And what fullness is he talking about? It's enjoying the blessings of his power in our daily lives and his love. Romans 5, 5. And hope maketh not ashamed because the love of Christ is shed abroad your heart by the Holy Spirit who baptizes us into the body of Christ. How about Galatians 5, 22 and 23? For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Yeah, you can't produce that. That's produced by the Spirit of God who baptizes us into the body of Christ. And so we manifest his life to a lost and dying world. Colossians 3.14 Beyond all these things put on love and we can because the Spirit of God is in us which is what? The perfect bond of unity. Yeah. And so do you have this change of heart? If you're saved this morning and you have eternal life, yes, you have this change of heart. Praise the Lord. But it's possible this morning that you don't. But if you do, then it binds us together as a body. We're not just saved. We're changed. (laughs) And we serve our Lord together because of the eternal life in us. And it's manifested amongst us. And so I trust that you have this change of heart and life. Because third, there's something else here that's very important about this unity. Jesus prayed that his unified body, the church, would become a glorious testimony of the saving message they received through the apostles. Notice what Jesus says twice in verse 21 and in verse 23. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that, here we go, The world may believe that you sent me. Verse 23. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected, complete in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. 
You see, without salvation and a changed heart and manifesting that, how can we be a testimony to a lost and dying world? We can't. In fact, if there's carnality and division within the church, how can there be a true witness to the world? There can't. You can speak all you want. But if you're living another way that opposes the gospel, people are going to be scratching their head and saying, well, how come it hasn't changed you? Why should I believe in it? And so Jesus is praying that they would be a glorious testimony upon receiving eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus' desire is for us to be perfected in unity so that it might be a genuine light. I love Matthew 5 and verse 16. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Yeah. You know, at this point, I just have to say this. I saw this unity on display this past week in VBS. I did. It was a rich, rich blessing, as a number of things were. I mean, we had 97 kids here this past week. And then we had 70 volunteers working in various capacities, all with different gifts, different abilities, serving in various ways. But our common goal was what? We were unified in bringing the gospel to these children. Yes. And then, not only then, but then on Friday night as well to parents and families and grandparents. That's what we're about. And so the world this week got to see the testimony of a unified body who loves the Lord, loves these children, and brings the gospel to them. It was very encouraging to me as a pastor, and you're to be commended for that. And so to sum up God's desired unity for his church, it begins with salvation from Christ, having eternal life, thus knowing continuing sanctification in Christ and faithful service for Christ. And we saw all this today in our scripture reading, didn't we? In Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, through chapter 2 and verse 5. Another perfect illustration of this, besides what I saw this past week in our church, is what we see in Acts chapter 2. Go with me if you would there, holding your space in John 17. Acts chapter 2. By the way, Peter was there that night listening to this prayer of Jesus. And he brings forth the gospel. And after preaching the gospel, it says this in verses 41 to 47 of Acts chapter 2. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day, there were added about 3,000 souls. Wow. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen.
And so Jesus here is talking about the importance of unity. But I don't want to leave this without making this significant point. We need to be careful as a church in joining hands, so to speak, with other religious groups for good causes. Okay? We do. There are a lot of good causes out there that the church can become a part of. And in sometimes we can do them by ourselves or we can join hands with others. But today there is an ecumenical unity that seeks to set aside doctrinal differences, essential truths of the gospel for the sake of working together on community projects. Because when we work on a community project, just like we did VBS, what is our goal? It's to bring the gospel, right? All right. So if we join hands with another gospel preaching church in doing a project, praise the Lord. But we need to be careful about others out there who do not stand for the gospel as it's taught in the word of God. That's the kind of unity that God is displeased with. Real unity, that which our Lord desired, is centered around truth. Okay? Take that to heart. It's centered around truth. Jude 3, right? Earnestly contend for the faith. Yeah. And so let's be faithful in both standing for the truth and speaking it in love so that the world knows that we belong to God and have what it really needs. God's desire for His church is to be unified. Think of Peter and John and the rest of the disciples just listening to this prayer and thinking about what is to come when other believers come on board with them, the church. This is God's plan for them. Well, that brings us to another spiritual element which Jesus prayed. And we see that in verses 24 to 26 as Jesus continues on his prayer. Follow along. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me. For you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. What do you notice here? What's another important spiritual element for which Jesus prayed? It's this. God's desire for His church is to be glorified. God's desire for His church is to be glorified. That is what's captured there in verse 24. Again, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you love me before the foundation of the world. You know, earlier, Jesus had said in verses 10 and 22 these words, and all things that are mine are yours and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me I have given to them. In other words, what he is saying there is that God the Father gave God the Son the word that he was to reveal to them about himself. 
And they received him. And so thus receiving his glory. They received the divine life. They received eternal life. So the reception of God's revelation through the message of Christ resulted in God's glory to the disciples' hearts and would be to other believing hearts in the future. Also, remember Peter, James, and John? What happened to them? They got a glimpse of the glory of God when? On the Mount of Transfiguration, didn't they? Yeah. But all of this was far was far from being complete for our Lord. His desire was that His believing ones be in heaven with Him and observing His glory, which He had set aside to come to this world and redeem mankind. Again, what we read there in Philippians 2, 5-8. Now, there's something I want you to think about for a moment here. And it caught my attention this week. And I want you to see it here. What is said here in this passage is not our desire. I repeat that. It is not our desire to be with Jesus. It's about Jesus' desire and having his own with him. That's remarkable. That's mind-boggling to me. In fact, you might even ask why. <laughs> I did. I asked myself that question. Yeah, I want to be with Jesus, for sure. But why would he want to be with me? Or why would he want me to be with him? Well, I think the text here helps us a little bit with that. On one hand, understand this. We are love gifts from the Father to the Son. What do I mean by that? It means that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. God set His love upon those whom He chose. And then in the providence of time, He draws us to Himself. And the Bible tells us in John six thirty seven, All that the Father giveth me, shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. In fact, notice what it says there in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me. How many times have we seen that phrase in this chapter? A number of times. And you also see it in previous chapters as well. Those whom you have given me. God the Father set his love upon us. He chose those whom he was going to give to the Son. And then Jesus came to redeem them. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a love gift from the Father to the Son. He came to redeem us and therefore longs to have us with him in eternity. And then on the other hand, he longs for those to have their promised hope realize these same people in fact this goes back to john 14 go with me to john 14 verses 1 to 3 now remember jesus says this after he said that one of you will deny me peter one of you will betray me oh yes and i'm leaving you all of that he said and then he says these words to them 
in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 14. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Why? Because I am God and I have everything in control. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And so Jesus longs for his believing ones to have their promised hope realized. You see, it's then when we will be ultimately changed, and I mean ultimately changed, glorified, like Jesus, and being able to share in His glory, and to see Him in the fullness of His deity like never before. I mean, think about that for a moment. huh? Now, I'm going to be in God's presence. I'm going to be changed. I'm going to be like Him, the Scriptures say. Yes, and I get to see Him in the fullness of His glory. Now, we can't do that now. <laughs> no. But one day we will. That's our hope being realized. This was Jesus' desire for his own. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. Holding your space here in John 17. 1 Corinthians 15. Beginning with verse 51 through verse 57. Here Paul is talking about the resurrection and why the resurrection is so important and the hope that it gives believers. And he captures that at the end of this chapter. Verse 51, 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from Philippians chapter 3. 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Yes, we will be glorified and we will get to observe the glory of God in His very presence. That's the wonderful hope that we have. You know, right now there is a spiritual fellowship. I mentioned that earlier, that all true Christians enjoy with the Godhead through the indwelling spirit. In fact, he alludes to this in verses 25 and 26. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you. And these have known that you sent me. And I've made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. That's a wonderful fellowship that we enjoy now. And yet this is not the same as being in his presence and seeing his unveiled glory. Jesus' prayer here is the Father's will and it will be realized. If you want to learn how to pray in God's will, just follow Jesus and how he prayed throughout this chapter. That's God's will. 
In fact, we're praying God's will, are we not? 1 John 5.14. That's where we see answers to our prayers. But Jesus here prayed in the Father's will. It will be realized. And we know that because of what Paul claimed in Romans 8 and verse 13. Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. From beginning to end, salvation is a work of God. It will be realized. In the mind of God, it's a done deal. (laughs) And so, beloved, how should all of this impact you and I? That's the big question. As you think about being in God's presence, observing His glory, realizing that hope one day, which, by the way, is not far. (laughs) Our life is but a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. You know, I'm 61 years old now. But I can remember when I was 20 and life was beginning, basically. The last 40 years have just shot by. I don't know what happened. Our life is a vapor. It's coming. So how should all of this impact us as we live right here, right now? I'm going to give you two things, although I could give you a number. I'm going to give you two things. Number one, to be faithful to Him and your calling. Yeah. Those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He justified. Those He justified, He also glorified. You've been called by God to salvation. And because of that calling, you're to live out that salvation before Him. Go with me to First um, John 3, 1 to 3. First John 3, 1 to 3. Again, the Apostle John was there that night and listened to the heart of Jesus as he was praying. I can't help but believe that these words that are shared here in 1 John 3 came out of that in his heart and mind under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. 1 John 3, 1 to 3, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what when he appears, we know that he, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, you have that hope within you. So that should impact your life now in preparation for eternity when you will be like Christ. Let's live like Christ now. In fact, in Colossians 3, 1 to 4, we have these words. Therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. So let's be faithful to Him in our calling. That's one way that... This truth should impact our hearts. But then second, it should encourage us in trials and sufferings. That's right. It should. Remember what Peter told the saints in the first century? Go with me to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1. First Peter 1. As you know from First Peter, he is writing to saints who are suffering under 
the rule of Nero. And it doesn't look like it's going away. And so what does he say to these believers right off the bat? (laughs) He's speaking to those who are chosen, as it says there in verse 1. Then verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Think about that passage in relation to where we are today and facing the United States. I've said over the last few weeks, you know, we... We're going through a time of inflation. (laughs) Uh, There are moral and political issues that we're dealing with. We see mass murder going on around us. And there's all sorts of other things that get our mind and our hearts diverted. We get focused on the temporal and directed away from the eternal. That's not God's will for us. No. We want to be focused on passages that we just read there in First Peter. I mean, that's what Peter is telling these saints who are suffering. So if it was good enough for them, shouldn't it be good enough for us? You bet. Absolutely. Think about the believers in Ukraine and Russia right now. Yeah. Many of them have been put out of their homes. The church destroyed. And so they're going to nearby countries as refugees. Yeah, things get pretty tough. In fact, they have it a lot tougher than we do, those believers. And yet I will tell you, they are going to become stronger according to the will of God through those sufferings and those trials. You know, when I was at seminary, John MacArthur, I heard this testimony from him a couple of times. So if you've been there for a while, you got to hear some of his illustrations more than once. But I heard him share this a couple of times, and I could tell it was very, very dear to him. He had gone to a conference there in Russia where he met with over a thousand poor Christians. These are believers who whose ancestors were under the oppression and regime of the former Soviet Union. And he could tell as he began his message (laughs) that there was a lot of things that were heavy upon their heart. And so he spent the next two to three hours just talking about the glories of heaven. He said throughout that whole message, there wasn't a dry eye in the congregation. Because what he was doing was reminding them of their hope. Yeah, this life is but a vapor. It appears for a while and it's gone. And these believers now were seeing what lied ahead for them. And you know, beloved, that's what we need to be focused on. Meditating upon the eternal versus the temporal. You know, I can't think, beloved, of a more fitting way to close our series on Jesus' upper room discourses than with Jesus' prayer for his future church. To live out its union with Christ and to anticipate 
the glory of Christ. In this prayer, you get to know what is important to God. Yeah. It's salvation. It's our security in Christ. It's our sanctification. It's being unified as a body. And one day being in God's presence glorified. These are the things of which Jesus prayed. These are the things which the disciples heard. And beloved, we're hearing it today as the church for whom Jesus prayed. This should bring great joy to your hearts. The story is told of Michael Faraday. You don't know him. I don't know him. He was a chemist, electrician, and a philosopher, a distinguished scientist calling on him, put this question. Have you conceived to yourself what will be your occupation in the next world? Hesitating a while, Faraday answered, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. He's quoting there from 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 10. And then he added his own words, I shall be with Christ And that is enough. Wow. Is that your desire? Hmm? It's no wonder why Jesus said these words earlier that night. John 14, 1. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Later in verse 27 of chapter 14, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He's not done. 1633, These things I have spoken to you, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Beloved, you have peace with God. He wants you to know the peace of God. And to be courageous in this world that's filled with tribulation. We can, can't we? Based on these truths of which Jesus prayed for not only his disciples, but for us as well. And so please take them to heart. May they guide you in the days ahead for his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And again, what a joy it is to just focus for a few minutes on these truths we saw this morning. Oh, Lord. I thank you that your desire, your desire is for us to be with you. I can't understand the full depths of that. But God, I am so thankful for your grace that came to my heart as a lost sinner. Save me and change my life. And you've done the same for God's people here this morning. We rejoice in that. And so, Father, I pray that we will do your will. That, God, because we are in Christ, because you have changed us, that we will be a unified body, sharers together in eternal life, manifesting God to a lost and dying world, and always looking forward to that day when we will be in your presence, O Lord, and see your glory. We look forward to that. I pray that that will encourage our hearts no matter what we face on a day-to-day level. In Jesus' name, amen.